We are going long with an Idaho game warden in this one. Buckle up, friends. There exists a threat. From anti-hunting groups to politicians trying to give our land away, and we won't stand for it. Those vast western landscapes provide the space for our wildlife to thrive and a place for hunters and anglers to fuel the fire that sparks their soul. In this show, we share our love of hunting, fishing, and conservation. Here, we provide the foundation to meet these threats through passion and the grit of the American outdoorsman. Welcome to the Western Huntsman Podcast. Gentlemen, welcome to episode number 73 on the Western Huntsman Podcast. This is Jim Huntsman, your host, and I'm coming at you from the Broken Tine studio right here in Hayden, Idaho. Looking forward to this episode, guys. I've been working on this one for a while. I've got an Idaho game warden uh, that I'm going to talk about here in just a minute uh, that we bring on. And, and we just uh, we do a lot of conversational back and forth about you know his career and his background and stuff. Uh, but then we get into kind of the nitty gritty of being a game warden. And so we're going to talk about that. Uh, before we get to that, I do have a few shout outs. I just kind of want to throw out there from, uh, some of you listeners and, and different folks that are making an impact on our show and everything else that we're doing. Um, you know, people that are writing reviews and, and promoting the show in their own way. Uh, I can't thank you guys enough. And I, I, I have a hard time sometimes knowing who is doing what, but I can see the impact and the effects of what they're doing uh, from my end. And so if you know if you guys are doing that, uh, again, whether it's just writing a review on like Apple Podcasts or uh, sharing the, the episodes with your friends or you know whatever the case is, sending me you know messages or, or supporting the show by jumping on the website and buying gear or merchandise or whatever, um, guys, thanks a bunch for that. It's it's been a huge help. We had a record download month in May. Um, May 2021 was I'd love to say it was by far the most downloaded, you know, uh, or most downloads ever on the show's history. It's not by far, but it was a record-setting month for us, um, and that is super important for me. Um, I, I I just love seeing the growth. And it's all thanks to you guys out there in the audience that are as passionate about the outdoors and hunting and conservation and, and everything that we talk about on the show uh, as I am. And and so, you know, you, I, I just really appreciate it. I want to thank Justin Watson out there listening. I believe he's in Oregon. Uh, sent me a really nice email. Super cool to read that and, and hear the story behind it. And uh, appreciate you, man. I really appreciate it. I want to thank... Whoever G underscore dub is for the, the latest review on uh, Apple Podcasts, <laughs> it's, it's funny. The headline says, he's a drummer. Enough said. <laughs> That's true, man. I should do a podcast just on drums sometimes. I love talking drums. So I, I appreciate uh, that, that there's other people out there that like to talk about the drums. Um, it's, always a, it's always a fun topic for me. So I appreciate the good review, man. appreciate those uh, five-star ratings. You guys know that sometimes in our fight against the anti-hunting movement in the community out there, uh, it puts a target on our back, and I notice every once in a while we'll get somebody that slips into the, the Apple podcast and, and gives us like a one-star review. 
Uh, and and I, I know sometimes where those are coming from because of what's going on with the podcast and stuff. And so it helps if you guys jump on there and counteract that. But anyway, that's uh, G underscore dub. Don't know what your real name is, man, but I appreciate that review. It was super nice of you. Um, awesome. I, I just can't I can't thank you guys enough for that that kind of stuff. And uh, Chris Colt, man, if you guys are up in the Sagal, Idaho area and you guys need a stove, a wood stove or chimney sweep or something like that, check out my buddy's company, All About Chimneys. Uh, this is not some paid advertisement. It's just people that are uh, they're great people with a great company serving North Idaho for stoves and, and uh, support a local company. Uh, just great guys over there, man. If you guys are in the area and need that stuff, check them out. All About Chimneys in Sagal, Idaho. That's about uh, about 20 minutes north of me, uh, so pretty cool spot. Guys, uh, in this episode, I, I need to get into a couple of things. So I've got a game warden on, and, and one thing that's really important as we're rolling into this episode that, that some of you listeners that are not in Idaho need to understand that the, some of the things that we're clarifying regulation wise are very much specific to Idaho. Uh, I'll give you an example. We talk about, um, you know, hunting or, or you, where you could take a shot in terms of like being on a roadway. And in Idaho, he lays out, okay, you have to be off the road this much or whatever. You're going to hear how, how we talk about that. And that's really not what this episode is about. But there are a few things that we talk about. And I know that, uh, you know, Idaho is our most downloaded state. We get the most downloads in Idaho. As of right now, it like goes back and forth between Washington and Idaho. But last month in May, we had the most downloads right here in Idaho. Uh, and so I'm just saying this, you know, in the spirit of obviously for most of you that have common sense, you're going to know this, but I don't want anybody to miss this point. If you are outside of Idaho, the, the laws and regulations that we clarify in this episode are not going to pertain to you and you need to check your own local regulations and stuff like that. And that's real, again, it's really not the, what the episode is about. We we're really more talking about the lifestyle of, of being a game warden, and we talk about some of the things that are controversial um, for game wardens versus hunters, and and kind of what the mission of game wardens are, and con- uh, you know just conservation officers in general. Uh, he throws uh, throws us a few really good stories as as a game warden, things like that. And so on on the line today, I've got Steve Roberts, and uh, as as I said, he's a game warden right here in Idaho. He's down in uh, kind of southeast Idaho. And Steve is a great dude. He's a he's one of those really committed people to his career. And I think that I bring that up because I always I always admire people that are like this. And you you could find them by the dozens when we're talking about service oriented like law enforcement or firefighting or paramedics or or teachers. You know these these people that dedicate themselves to a cause that is greater than than themselves. And their career isn't necessarily a self-serving career. Nobody's going to get rich being a game warden or a, or a highway patrolman or a teacher. You know, you know what I mean? Nobody's going to get rich on that. Uh, but they're doing it out of a greater sense of fulfillment and, and a sense of duty and, and commitment to, uh, so, uh, again, something just greater than themselves. And, and I always admire that. And, and so... For everybody out there that is in that kind of industry as a as a career and as a living, we just want to thank you from from our podcast from right here at the Western Huntsman. Thank you guys, you you uh, men and women that do that for a living, uh, exemplify selflessness, and it's it's a great thing because again, nobody's getting rich doing that. 
there oftentimes comes a lot of danger out of that. Uh, we've seen in what what has come out of our ever-changing societal norms in the United States of America, we've seen these uh, political implications that uh, play negatively towards our law enforcement, and they don't deserve that. They don't deserve that. And and these guys, they put it on the line. And this career is a higher calling for them. This isn't just something that, like in my career, I always, th- I always think about my career. If you'd asked me when I was 20 years old what I'd be doing at 40 years old, I would have never guessed what I'm doing now. And, and so it's one of those things where I just kind of fell into it and it works, right? That's it just it was an accident. It, it just I slipped into this career path that has led me to where I'm at today and it it has worked out fairly well for me. Yeah, you know, I I'm not I have no complaints with what I do. When we're talking about somebody like Steve, this is like a calling for him. It's a higher calling. It's a duty. It's a sense of pride. It's a sense of commitment and a fulfillment that he sees as his duty to provide for the community of Idaho and uh, again to any other law enforcement out there um, it, that's going to be pertinent to your community and so thank you guys for that and and with Steve we just we really get into that side of it why he wanted to become a game warden uh, how it fulfills him um, how he sees his duty and, and how he performs his duty and uh, and then we just we just go all over the place and he's just a great guy he's very uh, serious about what he does. He loves what he does. He's very passionate about uh, being a conservation officer. Um, and he loves sharing and educating people and teaching the youngsters and all these things that just make up what, what amounts to just an individual with great character. And I appreciate that. And so without further ado, let's go ahead and get into it. Uh, again, this is Steve Roberts. He is an Idaho game warden. And he has got some stories to tell and some education to send your way. Here we go, guys. I've got my new friend Steve Roberts, who is an Idaho game warden, coming on the show with us, and we're going to talk about all sorts of things that uh, pertain to being a game warden and what hunters and outdoorsmen should know in general. Um, We're going to cover a myriad of topics here, and I'm really excited to have Steve on. I've been working on this one for a while. Uh, Steve, I appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks for being here, man. Yeah, anytime, Jim. I, I, I appreciate you having me on the show. And can you can you kind of give us an idea of where you're a game warden at? Yeah, so I'm uh, currently in Mackey, uh, Mackey, Idaho, out of the Upper Snake region. Mm-hmm. Um, Mackey kind of sits between Salmon and Idaho Falls is kind of the the basic you know geographic area. And you've got uh, like what kind of as as and we're going to get into a lot of this more in detail down the road. But as a game warden, what kind of territory do you cover personally? Like how many miles? I've I've got about, you know, right around 2,000 square miles. Awesome. Okay. So that kind of puts into perspective 2,000 square miles um, is a lot of country to cover. And uh, that's a a tall order for anybody. So I, I appreciate what you do, first of all. Steve, I know it's kind of one of those, uh, it's one of those jobs that, 
you know, there, there's two parties. We either really appreciate what you do and are thankful for you guys being out there, and I think that's the biggest party. And then there's the other party that kind of resents you guys for being out there and, and, and uh, doing law enforcement because they're the ones that want to break all the rules and the laws and everything else, and, and uh, they're the smaller of the two. Uh, but let's face it, they're out there. Um, and so I, I think that it speaks a lot uh, to the warden service and, and to law enforcement in general that you're willing to come on the show and, and discuss some of these topics that we've got uh, kind of planned out here. Um, can we start it off with giving us your personal background? Uh, I'd really like to know, you know, how long have you been a warden? Where are you from? How'd you grow up? And kind of what your motivation to be in law enforcement was, and uh, I know that was a lot I just threw at you, but uh, let's start with where you're from. Yeah, so I, I grew up in southwest Idaho. I grew up in Mountain Home, um, born, in, born and raised in Mountain Home, lived in the same house my whole life. Um, went, uh, went from Mountain Home and got into University of Idaho for uh, the wildlife program. Up in Gradu- Moscow? Yep, up in Moscow. Graduated Sweet. from Dubai. And, uh, and then was hired, uh, as a conservation officer in 2006. So I'm, I'm right at, uh, you know, 15 years of service. What, as, as a kid, was it like always in your mind, Hey, when I grow up, I want to be a game warden. I want to be in a conservation officer. So I've, I'm one of those guys that had a dream as a kid and honestly got to live out my dream as an adult. I grew up in a, I don't want to say the word poor, um, but my dad did not make a lot of money when I was growing up. We had a, you know, my mom and dad and and five kids and we literally ate and drank hunting, fishing. Uh, That's, you know, that was our mainstay for providing food for our family. And, uh, and that's kind of what started me down the path. It it uh, it truly was the, you know, the yellow brick road, if you want to say it that way, uh, that started me on this path to to this profession. Is there uh, just kind of an odd question off off topic though? Um, as a conservation officer, so you grew up legitimately as a as a hunter and a fisherman, just an all around outdoorsman. Uh, which I, I you know, if you're in mountain home, I think that that's pretty. Uh, pretty much the norm. Um, is there nationwide, is there like uh, some conservation officers that being introduced to hunting and fishing and, and the outdoors in general, is that like a new concept to them? Or is that is that normal for most wardens to have a background growing up as, as a, uh, you know, an outdoorsman? Does that make sense? So, yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, a, a large portion of game wardens across the nation have some kind of background in, you know, hunting, fishing, trapping. Um, however, I will also say I have some, some friends that are dang good officers that didn't hunt, you know, one day growing up, they, you know, they found a calling, they, you know, found a, a service related profession and, you know, their introduction to hunting was, you know, first day on the job, if you will. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, it, you know, it's, uh, th- the background definitely helps, uh, but it's definitely not necessary. Sure. Yeah. That makes sense. I, I think that one thing that like, when I think about, I, I think about if I could rewind my life 
and go back and and start my you know a career again and and knowing what I know now, different career paths that I would take. The one thing that that bothers me about becoming a game warden, right, is I feel like it would take a lot of time out of my own personal hunting uh, seasons. Is that the case, or how does that work out? It it definitely does. Um, that's that's something that that a lot of guys and gals don't don't think about when they enter this job. You know, my busy season uh, is when everybody else is recreating, and the you know the time in field, the time away from family. Mm-hmm. uh, does, does take its toll. You know, there's, there's definitely times that, you know, I wish I could hunt more. I wish I could fish more, but you, you get around that by, you know, becoming a specialist. Um, you know, I know for the most part, unless I draw some super coveted tag and, and work out a deal with my neighboring officers, I'm likely not going to have time off in October to try to go, you know, elk hunt. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, through, through my background, I, I've got other avenues rather than just rifle elk hunting that I love. And so I started muzzleloader hunting. Uh, you know, I started bow hunting and you, you become a specialist and you, you seek out those seasons that a, either your general area doesn't have anything going on or B, you can sneak away for a little bit of time, you know, at the tail end or the very beginning of the season and, you know, still get, you know, still get your licks in. Hmm. I guess that, that makes sense. I, I guess that's, again, when I go back, I, I always thought it'd be cool, man. I'll, I'll be a game warden. I'll, uh, I'll go, I'll go bust people that are poaching and ruining it for every other hunter out there. Uh, there was, there was this uh, show when I was still in the service. It was on TV when I was when I was in the service. I was watching this show, and it was about this California game warden, and they were trying to bust these uh, salmon poachers on this river. Yep. Yep. And and he got in a wetsuit and got in the river and swam underwater and grabbed one of the the poacher the, the salmon poachers lines and acted like they were a fish. And when they reeled him in. It was a game warden. He popped up out of the water, and the guy fainted, and he gave him a ticket. Yep. yep. <laughs> Do you yep. know what I'm talking about? That show? Absolutely. I've seen that many times, and the story, <laughs> you know, the story uh, is is something of legend. You know. Yeah. Uh, uh, I would yeah. love that. I'll I'll just kind of jump back a little bit and and kind of tell you my why. So yeah, you know, when you say you know, if I could go back and do things over catching poachers and this and that 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 is exactly what started me on this path um i i'm one of our trainers uh you know here in the region and i'm what we call an fto a field training officer Mm -hmm. so when we get new recruits you know i'm one of the guys in the state that that is privileged enough to be you know their trainer i get to evaluate them and teach them the ropes if you will okay And, and i always tell them that you know everything in life, we need to have a why, what is your why? And I'm pretty dang proud of my why. Um, my why started when I was nine years old. Like I told you, my family wasn't very well off and we, we hunted a lot. And when I was nine years old, we had a local game warden, uh, there in mountain home that, that over the years 
truly became one of the one of the strongest mentors I've ever had. When I was nine years old, we were at the at the local gas station, and in the back of his truck was two dead, bloated elk, mm. and they were missing their heads. And you know, me being a little kid and my dad being friends with you know friendly with the local game warden, uh, you know, I said, you know, what what's going on there? And and we were told that those two elk were poached and their heads were taken, and that's the only thing that they took. And I, I remember, you know, very vividly looking at my dad and telling dad, you know, th- those elk could have fed our family. And Seriously. on that, on that day, I told my dad that when I grow up, I'm going to be a game warden so that I can help stop that. Mm-hmm. And, and that's my wife. That's a great why. That, that's a great motivation because that is a that is a taking yourself out of your own personal net gain, right? And and you're turning it into what is what is the best thing for the greater good, and how do I serve a, a community outside of just myself? Yeah. And that's the thing. Whether whether it's a game warden or you're a firefighter or a or a policeman, you know, it, whatever kind of service oriented industry in that and that, that one thing that people especially in like the the political climate of, of of today what people don't realize is your job in the service of others and for the greater good there's a community sense to that 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 people that spend their whole lives in uh, some kind of job where it's it's just and only self-serving sure th- there's a big difference there and I'm not saying that's bad because I'm in a job where it's it, it is mainly uh you know I'm, I'm not in a service oriented uh, day job, right? I, that's not what I do for a living, and and I'm not saying that that's that's selfish, and I'm not saying anything. Dur- so any of you out there sitting there writing this down, waiting to send me a nasty email, just save it because that's not what I'm talking about. What what it is though, when somebody is in law enforcement and they're a game warden and they're a they're a policeman and they're a highway patrolman or a firefighter or a paramedic and all these services that that provide for our community, this is for the greater good. It's not like they pay you guys you know, all this money to do what you do. There's a, there's a, there's a higher level of fulfillment that I I've noticed with all my friends that do this for a living that I don't think gets recognized enough. And so I want you to know from like our platform and our, my standpoint, you know, we recognize that and we appreciate that. And because it's, it's, you guys are the tip of the spear in, in terms of uh, our defense for our lifestyle of hunting and outdoors uh, or being an outdoorsman. We, we need that protection in order for this to be sustainable. And a lot of people don't see it that way. And, and, and it brings me to a question for you, Steve, like when, now you've been doing this for 15, 16 years, however many years we're into this now, I guess 15, huh? You said 2006. Yep. Um, is it what you thought it would be? And, and is that level of your, the fulfillment side of being a, a conservation officer, is that fulfilled or is it a lot different than what you thought it would be? It, it is that much and so much more, um, you know, don't, don't get me wrong. We all have bad days. Right. But, Mm -hmm. you know, as, as a conservation officer, I truly believe I have the greatest job on earth. You know, we have a lot of friends and we make a few enemies, but so does everybody else. Right. We're out here. Uh, to do a job. We're just general, you know, regular old guys and gals that love wildlife. 
you know, whether it's, you know, uh, I mean, I love it all. I, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I'm on a group that, that, uh, records bumblebee sightings because, you know, our pollinators are so important to everything on the landscape. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> that, for sure. Uh, you know, that I, I literally go from, you know, bumblebees to, you know, to moose, uh, and I get to work with all of them. And, and that's the, that's the stuff that's so fulfilling, you know, doing the, the surveys, doing the, uh, you know, the side work, if you will, you know, as a, as a game warden, you know, I'm, I'm not 100%, uh, law enforcement, you know, we're, we're out there helping with, you know, trapping deer, radio collar and elk, you know, doing fish surveys and, uh, you know, sage grouse surveys, lek routes, all, I mean, everything that the department does, we do get to participate in. And that's the stuff that, that truly is, as we say, we get paid to do things that people would pay to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when, I mean, all that being said, and everything that you've covered kind of answers this in a way, but I, I, I kind of wanted the audience to be able to take away some clarity because I think there's there's some misunderstanding out there in terms of what the the mission of the warden service is. And can you kind of help broaden the definition or explain to to people listening that may not be super familiar with this, like what is the mission of of the warden service. So what is the point yeah. of having conservation officers out there? Sure. So, so my bureau, the enforcement ranks is just a, a one of the several groups that make up the overall Idaho department of fishing game, right? We call them bureaus. So mm-hmm. we are in the enforcement bureau. We've got fisheries, we've got wildlife, we've got communications, we've got habitat. We're just a, a faction of the overall group. That okay. overall group, Idaho Department of Fishing Game, is charged with protecting the wildlife of the state of Idaho. Uh, and that, our, our mission statement is actually, you know, written in Idaho law. And in short, it says, preserve, protect, perpetuate, and manage the wildlife of, of the state of Idaho for its residents for the future of hunting, fishing, and trapping. Gotcha. So that, that is, you know, in a nutshell without actually reading, you know, the, the mission from paper, our mission is to protect, preserve, perpetuate, and manage all wildlife for the citizens of the state. And on, on that note, Steve, what is like, some misconceptions or misunderstandings that hunters have specifically about game wardens or, or some of the laws that you're enforcing. And, and I asked this kind of what I was telling you before we started recording, I asked this of, of a lot of kind of niche guests that I'm having on the, on the show. There's gotta be misunderstandings out there that you see on social media or, or elsewhere people, what people say to you about what the, the game wardens do um, you know, what their mission is or things like that. Is there, is there something you can comment on, on in, in that regard? Sure. You know, I, you know, I hear it, I hear it quite often. And, and fortunately, most of the time that I hear it, it's not from the general public. It's from those folks that are, you know, sitting, uh, waiting to receive a citation, you know, but 
you know, we hear it quite often. Well, you guys are just out here enjoying writing people tickets. And, and that, generating that, revenue, right? That's exactly right. you yeah. got a quota to fill, and you're just out here taking money from the taxpayers of the state. And that couldn't be further from the truth. We, we don't have any kind of quota system. There's no, you know, we don't have any uh, evaluation based off the number of tickets you write. Um, we, this is obviously just me speaking, but I'm, I can speak for the group. The best days that I have are those that I go out and I talk to 50, 60, 70 people. And every, every contact has been, Hey, I appreciate you guys being out here. Thanks for, you know, having all your licenses and everything in a row. Have a great day. Yeah. A lot of times the harder parts of the job is writing somebody a, a citation. That's not what we get our enjoyment out of. We get our enjoyment out of watching people enjoy the wildlife and the, you know, and, and, and the nature that we have, uh, the outdoors that we have here in Idaho. That's our enjoyment. Now, I, uh, I would totally agree with that, except for if I was that California game warden that snuck in the water and pretended like I was a salmon getting reeled in. I would get a lot of enjoyment out of writing that guy a ticket. Yeah, don't don't get me wrong. There, there are <laughs> some, some violations that, that uh, you know, you work long and hard to try to make that case. Yeah. And there, and there is definitely a fulfillment at the end of the rainbow, but that's not a, it's not a, a, a personal joy per se. It's a, a satisfaction that you put in the time and caught somebody that truly is a poacher. So it's, right? it's like a sense of justice you've got. Absolutely. Yeah. We are protecting the resource for the people of Idaho. Yeah. Yeah, I dig it, man. I, I love that stuff. I, I think that that's, that's great because that's, uh, like you said, the some of the misconceptions, I and I've heard all this a million times. Oh, you're just out here trying to write me a ticket for not having a fishing license uh, so you guys can get your commission on, on how many tickets you wrote. I don't know of any law enforcement agency on the planet that gets a paid commission for writing tickets, but I've, I've heard that yeah. multiple times. I don't understand where that comes from. So a little, a little bit of history and, and I, I can't say that this is where that came from, but so we way back in the day, uh, 19, I can't remember the exact year, 1902, 1905, way back, uh, there. way back. They hired the first game warden and, and he was the only one for the whole state. Uh, Charles Arbuckle, I think if I remember right, was his name. He, he was the warden for the entire state mm -hmm. and he was allowed to hire deputy game wardens. They worked under him and their pay came from, they received half of the fines for every citation that they wrote. Gotcha. So yes, at one point. 115 years, years ago, ago yeah yep yeah there there was you know that stuff going on sure but at the same time that same time frame the cost of a hunting license was one dollar mm -hmm. one dollar for a resident five dollars for a non-resident so you know and the same is true today right 
every every time I hear that, well, you're just out here, you know, trying to take my money. Well, that $25 license is vastly cheaper than you taking a day off to go visit with a judge and pay the fine for the violation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's the kicker of the whole thing. Like the licenses, especially for a resident, they're just not that much money. Yeah, but we still write those tickets weekly. You know, I mean, it, it's it still happens, you know, quite often. What's the most common thing that uh, sportsmen get cited for? So it really changes with the season. Right, right now, with really the only thing going on, you know, bear season, salmon steelhead season on some years, uh, you know, fishing season in general, you know, we get quite a few bear bait violations and a lot of fishing violations, whether that be fishing without a license, uh, using bait where you're not supposed to have bait, you know, fishing in a in an artificial yeah. Uh, section of the river with bait, you know, those are the things that we see this time of the year as it transitions into the fall, you know, the, the most common hunting violations, probably tagging violations improperly, or, you know, just not correctly, or a lot of times simply not putting a tag on an animal. Mm-hmm. Um, evidence of sex is is fairly common. It's actually one of them that I would say is probably the most common violation in the fall is evidence of sex. Do you have a simplified explanation for hunters that don't know how to quite do that properly to explain to them how you do that, how you leave the evidence of sex on when you're hauling out an elk and you've got it quartered out? Sure. Yeah. So, uh, I, I play the game of extra chances. So when I, when I quarter out my elk, I leave uh, a testicle or a piece of the mammary attached to each one of the hindquarters. Yes, it takes a little bit more time, uh, but there's been multiple times that even I am, you know, packing out meat. You shove it in a bag, you, you know, get it in your pack. You're going out a mile and a half or more. And things come off, they get tore off, you know, or a lot of times, honestly, what happens is a guy gets caught in the moment. I got to get this thing skinned. I got to get this thing quartered and they get the quarters pulled off and it's like, Ooh, mm, forgot to leave that on there. Well, now it, you know, now it's too late. So the, you know, the biggest thing is just take a little bit of time and make sure that you get it correct. Um, it doesn't have to be a testicle. It doesn't have to be a mammary. Uh, you know, a lot of guys will leave and I've done this with, with, uh, some of the smaller animals, uh, you know, the penile cord, the penis comes from between the legs and it follows right directly between the two hindquarters. Mm-hmm. You can leave that attached to one of the hindquarters when you're splitting the pelvis, just leave a chunk of that, you know, penile tissue right to the side of the the hind quarter when you get home and you're getting you know things ready to get processed then you can just whack that off yeah um, it's, it's super easy it it is you know and it's one of those things that uh, i think 90 percent of the time folks just get in a hurry and you don't think about it until it's already gone 
you know, yeah. and once it's no longer attached, now to be compliant with the law, we got to do something different, which now means that you're either, you know, on an antlerless animal, at least you've got, you know, a couple different teats that you can, you know, maybe salvage something to, to leave attached, or you're, you know, packing out the head and neck to make sure that it, you know, stays attached to a portion of the carcass. Gotcha. And, and that's, that's probably one of the more common things you get, you're out there and you see, and you're, you're having to cite people for. Yeah. And you know, one, one thing for folks to understand, you know, a, a citation definitely doesn't always happen. Um, we yeah. have, you know, we have warnings and the vast majority of violations on a, on a, you know, scale wide system are dealt with a lot of times with just a couple warnings that it doesn't mean that the violation didn't occur. Uh, what I tell folks is when you receive a warning, we're using this as an educational experience. So it doesn't happen again in the future. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think that's super important. I feel like, I feel like Steve, if we wanted to get funny, we could do a whole podcast episode on how to get out of a citation. Or, oh, sure. Or even having like a highway patrolman, how to get out of a speeding ticket. <laughs> because, you know, I, what what I've found in, in my experience in in the past, it has always been, of course, I've never, I, I've never really had any uh, hunting violations, right? It's always been like, I, I speed, I do speed. And, and I've yeah. been, I've, I've had my fair share of tickets and my insurance rates reflect that. Um, yeah. So I don't recommend it, but uh, you know, it, it, Either way, and regardless, I'm always polite and I'm always respectful. And and one thing that you have over me as as a, as a career law enforcement guy like yourself is you have to have a lot more patience for the general public as as what I can I, I could provide. I I don't know if it was my time in the Marines or just the nature of my personality, I have little patience for people that are disrespectful, they don't have manners, and they feel like they're just entitled to come up and ruin it for everybody else. Man, I'd be throwing people against a truck and putting cuffs on them and dragging them behind it. No, I wouldn't say that, but (laughs) I, I, I just have not a lot of patience for that kind of stuff, and I feel like manners go a long ways, and we're lacking that in uh, today's society. I don't know. Maybe it's just something that uh, bothers me and doesn't bother anybody else. Yeah. No, I think you're, I think you're right on, you know, I mean, we, you know, like I said earlier, we, we make a lot of friends um, on a, you know, on an overall basis. It, it's somewhere around 10% of the folks that we interact with have a violation present. Mm-hmm. So, you know, on a day-to-day basis, you know, if I check, you know, 50 people, I might find, you know, two or sometimes three violations. And most of those violations are, you know, minor violations. You know, it's not, it's not that common, you know, to have a series of major violations unless you just happen to, you know, get some really good information, put in a fairly extensive, you know, amount of work and get a, you know, a group of folks that are purposely breaking the law mm-hmm. caught, uh, you know, on a day-to-day basis, it's pretty minor stuff that we're running into. 
you know, some of it is, you know, minor enough that you get a warning and we have a chat. Some of it is, you know, still minor, but is dealt with, you know, by an infraction maybe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And some of it is a little bit more serious and, you know, you end up with a misdemeanor and, and, you know, a court date. Um, but overall, uh, one of the things that I tell all of the hundred ed teacher, uh, the, the hundred ed classes that we teach is honesty goes a long ways. We're, we're all human, you know, sure. just because I'm a gay morn doesn't mean that I haven't messed up. Right. I've got speeding tickets before, right? you know, you, you get in situations where a person makes a mistake mm-hmm. and mistakes happen. The problem, though, is that mistake happens and then people try to cover it. They try to hide it. They try to deal with it instead of being honest about it. And that's when, you know, a a warning just simply isn't going to suffice because it's no longer a mistake. Now it now it's a crime. Yeah, because if they're if they're not admitting the mistake, it, it becomes this thing where, okay, I can get away with doing this. Yeah. In the future, where versus if you just say, hey, you know what, I screwed up, I uh, I didn't do this, or I failed to do this, and uh, I'm not going to let it happen again. You, you know, I think I think that goes a long way, and that just speaks to general character as well. Yeah. You know, you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, I do have I have a can I ask you a clarifying question that I can't seem to find, and maybe it's just because you know I I've never been accused of being super smart, uh, <laughs> but. I have a I have a clarifying question. You had mentioned bear baiting and bear baiting citations. Let's say you've got two guys and they're friends, and one's got a barrel set here and one's got a bait barrel set down there. Does both hunters have to have a bait tag on that specific barrel, or could they trade off and say, "Hey, I've got a bear hitting it here. Why don't you go hit that one tonight, and I'll go hit yours tomorrow"? Does that make sense? It it does, and and this is one of them that we actually get asked quite a bit. Um, this is, you know, this is not something, something new. So the, the bait permit gives you the opportunity to place bait. Okay. And that's the, that's the important clarifier here. Mm-hmm. The, the placement of the bait is what is regulated. Okay. So gotcha. if you, if you both have bait permits and you're sharing responsibilities of baiting both of those sites, you both need to have a permit. You, you both need to have the permit. So the person sitting on that bait needs to have a baiting tag permit. So no, no. So that's the. Oh, I misunderstood. Yeah, that's the kicker here. So the placement of the bait, not the actual person hunting it, but who is placing the bait at that site. So that's the that's the one thing that that I think a lot of people kind of don't you know it's a struggle they don't really understand it yeah and and that makes sense oh go ahead i cut you off there sorry no what i'm saying is if me and you are both running a couple bait sites together Mm -hmm. if i if if you have a bait permit and i do not right you get you buy a bait permit you get your three site tags Mm -hmm. so you go up you place the barrel you place your bait it's got the tag you're you know uh, correct distance away from the road, the water, uh, all of those things. It's 100% legal. But then you ask me, hey, I'm I'm not going to be able to run up there this weekend. Can you run this bait up there for me? 
as soon as I pour that bucket of bait in the barrel, I have broken the law because I don't have a bait permit. Gotcha. That helps That's me. The, okay. It's the it's the placement of the bait, not the actual hunting of the bait. Okay. That that actually I, I told you I wasn't very smart, Steve. I, I hope you're I hope you're picking up on this, but <laughs> that makes sense. So I've got a buddy coming to hunt from out of town. I'm gonna be the one putting the bait in the barrels and hunting. Uh, but he's also going to hunt him when he gets here, but I'll be the one always putting the bait in and that is legal. Yeah. As long as, as long as it's a legal bait site, gotcha. he, can, he can hunt that bait, you know, without, without any other permits necessary, he just has to have, you know, the bear tag. See, that's the kind of stuff I worry about as, as a hunter that it's, you know, I, I do my due diligence. I read the, the proclamation when it comes out, I, I try to keep up with, all these different things, and, and it, it gets really complex when you're a guy like me who hunts multiple species in multiple different states. It's really difficult to keep up with everything, especially when you don't have um, the, the brains that uh, most people do. And for me, I, I just I, I feel like I have to work harder because I'm not smart enough. You know what I mean? And yeah. and so it gets complex. And that's the kind of little detail stuff that I I always worry about. Like, oh man, did I do that right? Did I do that wrong? Um, how do I clarify that? And sometimes I don't know who writes the proclamation, Steve, but sometimes they are super super vague. And it's yeah. it's it's like. What what does that mean? Because that can be interpreted a couple of different ways. So, yeah. anyways, that's a that's I think where where I get a, a little bit nervous on on things like that, and that kind of leads me to this this next kind of line of questioning here. Um, but we were talking before I hit record, um, and I wanna I wanna bring up a point that you had made about how important it is that the public is there to help be like this uh, enforcement multiplier. And helping with regulation compliance, things like that, because you said, like, for you, you cover 2,000 square miles. And and I'm sure that that's pretty typical throughout the American West, whether you're in Arizona or Idaho. There's just there's there's not the numbers of law enforcement conservation officers out there to be able to kind of keep an eye on everything. Right. And so can you speak to how important it is that the public is there and has your back? Yeah, absolutely. So. So here in Idaho, uh, we have 105 field officers for the entire state, and that that number hasn't changed in you know quite some time. Um, our our patrol areas uh, are you know as you probably well know anybody from Idaho knows the terrain is vastly different in the Hawaii's versus the St. Joe, mm-hmm. right? So. Mm-hmm. Our, our patrol areas are vastly different. Um, the smallest patrol area in the state is somewhere around 400, 450 square miles. And the biggest one, I honestly don't know the number on, off the top of my head, but I'm going to say, you know, 2,800 square miles or maybe even a little bigger. And the difference is, you know, general population base, really. Those smaller patrol areas have a uh, larger number of people. They have a larger number of opportunities. So, you know, year-round fishing seasons, long hunting seasons with a lot of people, you just can't 
you're not going to be able to cover more than what that patrol area gives you. A couple of our, our officers that have, you know, backcountry wilderness mm-hmm. there. I mean, we have, you know, a couple officers that, you know, share half of the Frank church and, you know, they're only able to do their job either by landing in an airstrip, riding a horse or mule or jumping in a raft or a jet boat and, you know, running the river system. Um, you know, and so we, we have vastly different areas, but the one thing that we all deal with is trying to be everywhere at once. Mm-hmm. You know, me personally, like I said, I've got around 2000 square miles. I can't cover my entire patrol area in a week, let alone, you know, a couple days. You know, the, the other thing that all of us deal with is, you know, communication. There's, there's about 40% of my patrol area that I have no communication outside of satellite phone or satellite, you know, texting, you know, in reach, uh, you know, spot type things. Uh, so it, there are definitely times that, that I don't even know something's happening until two days later. So one of the things that, that we always talk about with Hunter Ed and we talk about at our sportsman shows and we talk about at, you know, public events, the sporting public is our force multiplier. As I said earlier, the vast majority, 90 plus percent of our sportsmen are law abiding nature loving folks that want to make sure that their kids have the same opportunity that they have. Mm -hmm. And, that only happens by continued regulation compliance. Yeah. So the, the public is so vastly important for us to make sure that when things are bad, we learn about it. You know, a lot of times those big giant cases that I was, you know, talking about earlier, those cases start by one guy or one gal that calls in and says, Hey, I don't know if this is anything, but it seemed kind of fishy and I want you to know about it. And the next thing you know, we're, you know, doing search warrants and doing, you know, multiple felony wildlife crimes because of a call from the public that they didn't even know if it was a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. If you're anything like me, hunting is a year-round thing for you, and we're always thinking about how to make our next upcoming season a little bit better, and one way to do that is with gear. And you guys know I'm not a big gear junkie, but I do have some important gear items that I'm always a huge fan of, and they're right here available on this show. Let's talk about Scree gear. Scree is my go-to camo. Scree is high-performance hunting attire and gear, scientifically tested camo patterns, and all backed by a great company, and I wouldn't recommend it to you if I didn't truly believe in the Scree product. They've got a complete layering system for all terrain and conditions, gear designed to adapt to the weather, it's rugged gear, it's got a lifetime warranty, VIP sizing and exchange program, you can't go wrong with Scree. Get the best out there without breaking the bank, and to make it even better, use promo code the Western Huntsman for 15% off and free shipping. Hell of a deal. Check it out at ScreeGear.com. Next on the list is my oldest and fondest sponsor of the show is Phelps Game Calls. 
One thing I love about companies like Phelps Game Calls is the American success story that came out of it. And Phelps started in Jason Phelps' garage years ago, and it's now one of the premier hunting call companies on the market. And I wouldn't point you in that direction if I didn't feel like they were the best calls available. Jump on PhelpsGameCalls.com. When you find a call you like, use promo code HUNTSMAN10 for 10% off. I promise you, you will not regret it. Hoffman Boots. Hoffman Boots is a go-to boot company I've been using for years and years and years. And the cool thing about it is I'm only on my second pair of Hoffman Explorers. I put lots of miles on my Hoffman Explorers. They're a great boot. They're not going to cost you a small fortune to get. And they have all the same guarantees and warranties that every other company out there has. If you want to be confident, guys, do not skimp on boots. Go to HoffmanBoots.com get you a pair of, for for me, I like the 8-inch Explorers, but they also have the 6-inch. They have all sorts of different options. Check it out at hoppinboots.com and use promo code HUNTSMAN10, all caps lock, for 10% off. And last but not least is Tacticam. Are you interested in filming your hunt? And are you interested in helping with conservation efforts throughout the uh, North American continent? Well, then I got a deal for you. Tacticam is a point of view type kind of camera that records in 4G. They also have other products like the film through scope, the FTS, and you attach that to your rifle scope and you can film your shot right there. And they have the mounts for your shoulder, for your head. They can, You can mount it to your bow. You can mount it to wherever and whatever you want. Lots of versatility with the Tacticam. Other products include, but are not limited to, the fisheye camera. The Tacticam Spotter LR is definitely worth a look if you want to film what you're seeing through your glass while you're actively hunting and get it on camera. It's a great thing. But I think that the thing that I'm most excited about with Tacticam this year is the new Reveal uh, cell cam that is coming out. This kind of this trail camera <clears throat> will send you images in real time as they're coming in. They've got like an enhanced antenna for better service. If you're like managing property or something like that, or you've got a bear bait set up somewhere that you have phone service, you can get those pictures right there to your phone. This uh, cell cam is super, super cool. I'm really excited about it. And you can get all this at the westernhuntsman.com forward slash gear. Go to the gear shop. You'll find all the Tacticam stuff right there. Uh, best pricing out there on it. And uh, what happens is we split the uh, profitable revenue from these sales of the Tacticam gear. And half of it goes to conservation efforts, uh, which vary depending on what quarter of the year it is. Right now we're raising money and trying to get some money over to Sportsman's Alliance. It's a great cause. And that is what's going to go down when you shop for Tacticam gear at thewesternhuntsman.com. So go over there and check it out and get you a camera. Guys, let's get back into it. I sure appreciate it. Can I expand on a point you made? Would you mind? Absolutely. Because I I think this is an important topic, and I don't think it gets enough airtime or attention out there. It starts with a, a story when... Uh, without, you know, I'm always running the risk of sounding like my grandpa when I say, well, back when I was in the Marines, right? But there's something to this. When when I was in the Marines and I'd only been in for six months, maybe 10 months, I can't remember. We're brand new to the Marine Corps. I'm still in like infantry school out in California. And uh, 
two Marines that I had no idea who they were. I didn't know, you know, whatever. They go out into the desert. I can't remember if it was California or uh, possibly Nevada, but either way, they shot two wild horses. And this is a big no-no, right? Um, they they go out and they they shoot two wild horses. They probably got drunk and were out there horsing around, messing around, uh, and shot two wild horses. Well, this created some serious national headlines. And we had um, one of our within the leadership of the Marine Corps. It's it's super complicated. It's like a cobweb of of different you know echelons and whatever. <laughs> we this this older Marine that was that was talking to us about this incident because it was all over the net. Like I said, it was all over the national news. Um, there's there's headlines. Two Marines go out and poach wild horses in Nevada or or wherever it was. And and what this what this person told us really makes sense and it really applies in this situation is, you know, you can have 90% or even 90% of the Marines that go out there, they represent us well, they give us a good name, they wear their uniforms the right way, they follow the laws, they don't drink and drive, They're, they they do things that represent our country and our nation and our Marine Corps in a very positive light. And then all that work that goes into that kind of reputation building gets shattered by two Marines that go out and break the law and shoot a couple of wild horses because that's what the headline is. If it was a couple of civilians that went out and shot wild horses, it would have barely made the news. But because it was two Marines, two active duty Marines, they went out there and got all these negative headlines shined right on the Marine Corps and the entire Marine Corps suffered because of it. The point I'm trying to make here. Is it it this this concept applies to hunters and outdoorsmen because when when we get poachers and they go out there and they shoot a big bull moose somewhere and it becomes a headline they they don't almost never do they report it as a poacher went out and shot a big moose out of season no it's always hunter goes out and poaches a, a bull moose out of season without a tag and it, you know it's poaching. And poaching yeah. is not hunting, but to the general public, for those folks that are not hunters and they're not generally, you know, they're not they're not anti-hunters, they're not pro-hunters, they're just the general public, the the vast majority of the population in, in the United States. Uh, that's these people. They read that, and the the entire hunting community gets painted with this negative light. Yeah. And so, as hunters, to your point, the the importance of us self-enforcing the laws and the regulations that are set forth because our game wardens can't be everywhere is critical to the future of hunting. And that's why I wanted to shed it upon that light. And I, I appreciate you giving me a few minutes there. <laughs> no. And, and that couldn't be, I mean, that couldn't be more true, Jim. Um, that is exactly uh, on point with, you know, the way things are, you know, perceived, right. Perception is reality for most of our general public. Great and, point. Yep. Uh, the the headline never says, you know, poacher cited for this. It's it's Idaho hunter, uh, Indiana hunter cited for forty two violations. Yeah, yeah. And that's just not that's not a hunter. That's a that's a poacher. A you poacher know, that, is not a hunter. That's a great point, Steve. They, you know, we have different levels of of violations. You know, and. And once you get to that, you know, that level that it's not, it's no longer, you know, your, 
you made a mistake or you misinterpreted the law or, you know, some of the, some of the other things, you know, you're, you're in a situation that you feel that you had to provide for your family. Yeah. Right. That That's, you know, obviously that's a poaching, right. But it's not it's the not, same. It's not the same. Yeah. Go ahead. Go it's ahead. It's not the same as somebody that's going out and shooting multiple animals and taking the antlers and the antlers alone for their ego. Oh, that stuff right? drives they, me crazy. It drives have, me crazy. Yeah. They have there there's a means and and let's be honest, wildlife trade is big money. Mm-hmm. There's there's a reason that game wardens have so much job security. Wildlife trade is a very active you know, business. The black market trade is an active business for a lot of different wildlife parts, whether that be the pet trade or the antler trade or, you know, whatever. There are people that their only, you know, their only concern is monetary gain. And that's, you know, that's a poacher. That's not somebody that's out there hunting. Yeah, that's that, that's a big difference between carrying on your family heritage of filling the freezer with with venison. Um, and, and I didn't know that, Steve. So that's that's like a big deal, like the, this black market thing that you're talking about. Yeah, in in different parts of the country and different, you know, different types of of wildlife parts, there there can be some you know serious monetary gain. Yeah, that's that's crazy. I I didn't know that. Sorry, I hit my uh, mute button there on accident. Whoops, there. Anyway, um, I think that that's a good that's a good like segue point to kind of contrast what we're talking about because I totally agree. I there is a big difference between somebody who is too lazy to pinch the uh, your fish hook so that you have a barbless hook versus somebody that's out there shooting three uh, bachelored up bucks in the middle of uh, July uh, to get their antlers, right? Yeah. That, the, yeah. And, and, and I, I agree with that. Neither one is right, but there there is a big difference. And, and the, I, I, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but the repercussions of doing both of those are vastly different as well. Uh, yeah, um, absolutely. So, so I, I'm glad we made that point. The one thing that is always kind of a hot topic, and I have opinions on this, is the topic of setting poaching decoys and how it pertains to law enforcement, uh, how you guys as wardens view this. Uh, and, and I want to kind of tell just a quick story on this topic. My little brother and I, we, we go hunting. Uh, we're down in Utah, and, and we're hunting. We take 10 days. And we go out and we spent all this money to get all the gear and every, you know, uh, the, the groceries and the and, and enough beer, obviously, right? We, as as hunters, you always got to have a, at least a a minimal amount of beer in camp. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so we go down and and we're hunting Utah. We're hunting mule deer, and we spend ten days working our tails off. And this is years and years ago, long before it was even feasible for us to even think we can afford a ten day hunt. Um, and because it was just way out of our price range, but, but we did it and, uh, we, we bust our tails. We're out there, uh, getting our teeth kicked in. We deal with bad weather. We deal with crowded mountains. We deal with all these things. Neither one of us end up tagging out. We pack up. I had this 1966, 15 foot trailer that I was pulling. I bought it for $500 when I was in my early 20, just out of the Marines. And, uh, I pulled this thing all over the place. So we pack up camp, we're on our way out, and I'm driving. 
and he's in the passenger seat and uh, it's it gets dark and we're still on the dirt road and I come around this corner and my headlights shine on the biggest whitetail buck I've ever seen in my life and he's about 30 yards off the road and I slam on the brakes and I just stand I just sit there and stare at it my little brother looks over at me and he reaches back behind the the seat and grabs his rifle and I'm staring at this buck and I'm just thinking man that is a big buck for this area and he's about to jump out and as he's doing that I'm thinking you know after all this work that we put in this is a pretty interesting little opportunity right keep in mind I'm in my 20s yep little brother goes to jump out and then all of a sudden it hit me I grabbed him and I said don't shoot at that buck do not shoot that buck. I be, because what what hit me is I'm in Utah. They do not have whitetail in Utah, other than maybe one stray that'll run through every once in a while. But for the most part, it is a mule deer state only. And this is a big whitetail buck, like the kind you find in Iowa or something. You know, it's just ridiculous big. Uh, and and we sit there and stare at it. And so I put the I I put the truck in park and I get out. And I go running up to it like I'm, I'm going to give it, you know, throw it in a headlock and wrestle it down on the ground or something, messing around. And these lights come on and these game boards are, hey, get back in your truck and get out of here. And so yeah. we get out. We leave. All is good. No shots were fired. But the thought did cross my mind as somebody who just busted their tail, spent a bunch of time in the woods, spent a bunch of money that I really didn't have to spend. This huge enticing buck that would be a dream for any hunter is right in front of us. I know what's behind that's a safe shot, but it's dark and it's illegal. And I knew it was illegal, but the the enticement was still there. And I kind of want to get your take as to why that happens in, in a way and explain to people that say you're creating a crime that wouldn't happen if that that decoy wasn't set. Does that make sense how I asked that? Yeah, I kind of went all over the place. So I apologize about that, but I want no, to have that discussion for clarification. Yeah. So, so the one, you know, again, I, I'm in the job of wildlife protection, right? So you're, when you say what, what would have happened if that buck, if that whitetail buck wasn't there? Well, yeah. what if it wasn't a whitetail? What if it was a live, mule 100% live three point mule deer? Yeah. Yeah. A lot, a lot of times that, that deer ends up getting shot and that's a loss of a resource for the citizens of the state. That deer was taken illegally because it was dark. It was still seasoned, but it was dark. dark. It was our last day. Yep. That's exactly right. So, you know, in, in Idaho, we have, you know, very specific times, half an hour before sunrise till half an hour after sunset. Right. That's the law. So, decoys in general so uh, again your your individual perspective was they put that deer there to try to get me to shoot it and you're right we did but what you don't have is the background why was that spot chosen decoys are are definitely used Right. We have decoys of various forms and fashions around the state, around the country. There's all different kinds of decoys. But the reason, at least for us here in Idaho, that we use those is because we received multiple complaints of people hunting after dark, 
We have multiple complaints of landowners with trespass issues. We have there. There's a background, right? So, we, so it's not just a random thing where you're like, let's go cruise down this dirt road and set a decoy. That is exactly right. So for me to set a decoy, I have to get permission from my supervisor who has to get permission from his supervisor to make sure that what we're doing is in the best interest of the public. We don't, we don't just drive around with a decoy in the back of the trucks. Like, ah, that looks like good spot. Let's throw it out. We, we have a reason for throwing a decoy. Um, and I'll, I'll give you an example. Okay. So, I, in a couple different patrol areas, we have unit boundaries with different seasons. So like, you know, unit four backs up to unit five and the, and the season is this date and the season five is a different date. That's kind of what you're, you're implying there. Yeah. So, um, so on one side of the road, uh, maybe it's a controlled hunt only and a general hunt on the right side of the road, right? Or you have two general units that back up to each other, but one unit closes, say, on the 24th, and one unit is open for another week and closes on the 31st. Mm-hmm. We start to receive complaints about guys shooting deer on the wrong side of the road or you know, the wrong side of the ridge line. And those complaints are, you know, used to ask for justification to run a decoy. Uh, case in point, one of my previous patrol areas, we had a controlled hunt on the left side of the road. The north side of the road is a controlled hunt only mm-hmm. with a limited number of tags, a very sought after, hard to draw unit. On the right side of the road is a general unit, any antlered buck. Well, the the road is what separates the two. And you start to get complaints about guys shooting deer on the controlled hunt side of the road and then dragging them across the road, throwing a general tag on them, and they're out of there in five minutes. Yeah. Right? So you start to build that, that investigation. And at some point you talk to the supervisors and say, Hey, I'd, I'd like to throw a decoy up and see if we can, you know, verify that this is actually happening. So we go throw a decoy up and it either gets shot or it doesn't, you know, most of the time you're sitting on the hillside freezing your butt off and nothing happens. And again, that's a great day, right? No Mm -hmm. rules were broken. Uh, I've had lots of people jump out of their truck and take pictures of them. You know, you, you're sitting on the hillside and, and you hear the voice come out of the truck. Oh, it's so cute. (laughs) You know, and those things happen. And then the very next vehicle comes by, they slam on their brakes and a gun comes out the driver's window. A gun comes out the back passenger's window and shots start to ring out. Yeah while sitting in their vehicle in the middle of the road. And it's, you know, that's the stuff that we're trying to stop. You have to be, and just, just like, you know, for people, it depends on what state you're in, but like in Idaho, you have to be 
is it 20 yards off the road or do you just have to be on the shoulder? I can never remember. You, you just have to be off of the main, all maintained portions of the road, right? Any maintained yeah, yeah. portion uh, of the road. So that includes, you know, gravel top, black top, and, you know, borrow ditches, any of it that's maintained. The, you know, in some of that North Idaho stuff, you guys, you know, got the big steep, you know, steep ridge lines. That whole cut bank that they have to cut off to make the road go through that spot, mm-hmm. that whole cut bank is considered maintained portion of the road. Yeah, yeah. So no, that's good. Every, I, I think people people need that clarification seriously because I I've uh, you know I've seen things the last few years. Yeah, and you know, different parts of the state have different cultures. You know, the the North Idaho. Uh, country up there you've got so many roads that it, you know it's pretty conducive for driving around looking for deer from the truck you know uh, I, you you say that but it's like i don't know how people do that i never see yeah. deer from the truck because these are we've got mainly whitetail you know if we had a bunch of mule deer up here i i could see okay road hunting could be pretty good you know but but for whitetail I just never see him from the road. I mean, rarely do I see a buck from the road. You'll see a white-tailed doe running, you know, that big white flag up going behind her. Yeah. Sure. Uh, so anyway, anyway, it, it's it's all interesting, and it's all uh, it kind of going back to this point that we're all out there as hunters, and we're we're needing to be this full force multiplier um, to help you guys with the regulation of compliance. And I think that that's the biggest pushback thing that I've heard from people is people don't like this whole decoy setup thing because they think that they're taking somebody that wouldn't normally create or, or, or commit a crime of poaching and they're putting them in a circumstance where it is being created. And the, the, the bottom line is, is it does boil down to that individual making that decision, right? It's, it, you, you know, like you were talking about with those units where the road is separating a draw unit from, uh, you know, just a general unit or whatever the case is. And it's really difficult to prove. Well, you know, they could say, oh, I shot it on this side of the road. You know, nobody saw me. Well, it, when, when you do have these decoy things, that's that's kind of where it's creating, you know, the, the, the actual hard proof that uh that's what happened right and i don't know if i'm articulating that the right way because i'm, I'm trying to read as i'm talking here one on some of these other yeah. questions i got for you <laughs> uh, you're, you're so what you know the one uh I, I guess to try to clarify it you know a little further so you know again when it comes to you know after dark stuff right we we get calls about spotlighting all the time and Yes, there are times where a, 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 game, a game warden can go out and see a light and catch somebody spotlighting. Mm-hmm. But if we start to get these reports, the chances of catching somebody with a dead deer are difficult. Mm-hmm. Right? No, it is it's... difficult. You're yeah. following somebody around in the dark, hoping that they see a deer. Not hoping is not a good word either, but. You know, well, I mean, if if you're out there trying to do law enforcement things, it I I know what you mean. I know what you mean. I've never been in law enforcement. I I've been in the military where there was this sense of I hope that I can apply the training that I'm learning, right? Sure. So I I know where you're coming from. So you don't you don't need to justify that. Yeah. The you know the solid proof sometimes is easier to obtain 
if we put a decoy up and allow those violators to come to us, right? We don't mm-hmm. have to try to find that needle in a haystack, if you will. We get some reports. Hey, you know, two days in a row, I've seen a spotlight up in this canyon, you know, or last week I saw a spotlight on this ridgeline. We're going to take a chance on them coming back to that spot. And we throw a decoy out and that's the, you know, those are the folks, especially when you start talking about nighttime stuff and spotlighting and, you know, depending on where you're at in the country, jack lighting and, you know, yeah, those yeah. those words that we all use for use of artificial light. Yeah, that's that's not a hunter. They're out there for the sole purpose to cheat the citizens of the state from an animal. Yeah, they're ste- they're stealing that wildlife from you as an ethical, responsible hunter. I'll give I'll give the listeners a really good example of of what we're talking about and and tying it into being. Um, helping the 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 conservation officers out there with regulation compliance. I I have a a, a really close friend of mine. His name is Knox. Uh, really cool name. I love the name Knox. Right. And and his name's Knox. But he's a stickler for rules. And uh and 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 we need more people like him out there in in this particular case. So where he was working, he had this guy come in to work, and uh, they're all you know working in the same kind of. Uh, they feel like. It was this weird carcinogenic gas kind of plant. They filled all these weird gases in these tanks and stuff. Anyway, beside the point, some dude comes in one morning after elk season. He's bragging about how he, he tried to find an elk and and, and uh, did all this stuff, but was, was driving at nighttime and actually shot an elk from the road at night because the elk was kind of mesmerized in his headlights. And he said it was his nice big six-point. And so Knox let him finish the story, and he let him kind of tell everybody and be all braggadocious about it. And what he didn't realize is Knox pulled him aside after he was telling the whole group around the you know morning coffee station this story. Knox says, "So are you gonna tell? Are, are you gonna call the warden and let him know that you poached an elk at night, or do you want me to? Because those are your choices." Yeah. And and that's what we're talking about. That guy should never have shot an elk at dark, and and there's a there's a ton of reasons why, and we we could talk about that for an entire podcast episode. But we all know that we're all grown ups for the most part. Maybe there's a few kids out there listening, but we're all grown ups. We all know why you don't shoot at night. We all know why those rules are in place. We all know why uh, we need to enforce ourselves and make sure that that doesn't happen. And and the guy chose in this case, the the guy chose not to call. So Knox did call. And, and, and people could roll their eyes and say, well, he's a tattletale. Well, is he or is he protecting the future of hunting? Because that's what we're talking about. Remember when, when you brought up and I brought up the fact that 90% of hunters, they do it the right way, but it's that 10% that sheds a bad light. It's that 10% that are going to kill it for the 90% of us. And that's yeah. why we self-enforce. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. We we've been on these tough top topics for a minute. Let's let's wrap this up. I want to hear some cool game warden stories. Which, by the way, Steve, is there a way uh, if I'm down in your neck of the woods and you're going to be setting a decoy, can I go with you? Can I like tag along, or is that illegal? We we have had some folks come along in the past, but uh, just simply due to the circumstances of 
you know, nighttime operations, uh, setting up decoys, you know, to catch known violators. Mm -hmm. The, the people that we have that come along, uh, as far as I've, you know, ever had somebody not, not a conservation officer on, on scene have always been a law enforcement officer. You know, one of the county deputies that wants to come along and, and, you know, just witness, you know, what we do on a decoy set. And, you know, again, that's just, uh, it's a safety thing, right? Mm -hmm. My, again, my job, I love everything that I do, but there are times that we have to take action, even if that means putting ourselves in potential danger. Yeah. Yeah. And I I get that part. Spotlighting patrols, decoy sets, search warrants, you know, those kind of things. We, we know that we're going to be interacting with, you know, people that are out there purposely violating the law and the degree of, you know, the, the safety factor involved is, is something that we're, you know, without some pretty high level permissions, yeah. uh, you know, civilians are, are not going to be sitting on the hillside with us. Well, give me your supervisor's number. I'll get some permission. Yeah. I'll buy the coffee. Yeah. All that kind of stuff. But you know what, what what struck me when you were talking about that, Steve, is the, the difference between game wardens and all other law enforcement agencies out there is you're dealing with people that you know for a fact are armed, right? There's like, you know they have a gun. You you know it. When, when, you're, when you're dealing with these people, and they're, well, I'm not saying you know the, the fly fishermen on, on the Boise River's armed. Not the case, obviously. Uh, I'm talking about hunters in general. That's got to be like add a level of stress. Do you do you stress out about that kind of thing? Because you, again, you you know these people are armed. They're out there. They're firing shots at night. They're poaching. They're doing this. What what is going through their mind? Are they intoxicated? Are they on drugs? Are they um, just so psycho that you, that you don't know what the outcome is going to be? What what makes you the most nervous about your job? So uh, it, it's those. What, what we, uh, we have a lot of unknowns that we, that we deal with, right? Mm -hmm. Um, the, the thing, the times that I get nervous are those nighttime operations. Um, you know, going into a camp at night because you got a, you know, call about a violation and, and, you know, there's six guys in camp and they have been drinking. Um, search warrants are always super high level, high stress. Right. Because we're we're going into somebody's house. We don't know what's in there. Yeah. They they know every nook and cranny. And, you know, we we have to serve the warrant by law. You know, the judge has ordered us to do it. So those are the times that, you know, you. Like you said earlier, you hope that the training that you have received and practiced and spent all that time working on. Is not needed. Yeah. yeah. But if it is needed you've got it in your back pocket. Yeah. That's uh yeah, that's a, that's a great way to put it. We don't yeah, we don't want to pull out the chitty chitty bang bang, but if it comes down to chitty chitty bang bang, we're going to chitty chitty bang bang, right? Yeah, you, you would be surprised at the number of fly fishermen that I've checked with a sidearm. Well, right? I, I mean, I could see that in Idaho, people worrying about mountain lions and bears and and, and, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. I I'm always armed where where I go, but there's um 
there's bigger types of bears where I go fly fishing. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, yeah, and, and that's, you know, that's one of the things that, that, uh, again, kind of getting into that misconceptions about people, you know, y- yes, there are times that I'm going to speak loud and clear and tell you exactly what you need to do. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm doing that because I don't want there to be any question about what you're doing and what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Right. If mm-hmm. I'm, if, if I have to deal with somebody, you know, with a violation, I don't know what their mentality is. I don't know, you know, there's, you know, all those stories about, you know, well, you know, you complete a traffic stop and you don't know when you walk up to that car, if he just murdered his wife. Exactly. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, but there's one thing I know for certain as a game warden, most of the people that I interact with have at minimum one weapon on them. Mm -hmm. Fishermen have knives, you know, outdoorsmen have knives. I have a pocket knife everywhere I go. Me too. Right. So, uh, you know, are, you know, even hikers during the summertime, a lot of times have a sidearm if they're in bear country or lion country, you know, you go into a hunter camp, you know, for certain everybody in that camp has at minimum one weapon with them, Yeah. you know, and the way we train, if there's one, there's two, you always have to expect a second weapon, whether that be a knife, a box cutter, or, you know, a pistol or a rifle, there's where there's one, there's always two. I mean, even bear spray, you're, you're hiking, you know, there's hikers out there. Have you ever heard of a game warden getting sprayed with bear spray? Like purposely? We not game warden specific, but we have had some, some, uh, you know, wildlife law enforcement, forest service personnel that, that have been sprayed, uh, by pepper spray, bear spray, you know, while conducting normal day-to-day business oh man that would hurt it's definitely something that you know we have to we have to train for we have to be ready for yeah Yeah. you know so uh, getting back to the misconception part of it you know folks will say man you're awful rude like well i want to go home to my family tonight Mm -hmm. and i want to make sure that you go home to your family tonight so yes i may have been a little bit stern and I wanted everything to be very clear, but at the end of the day, I'm going home to my family and I'm going to do anything I can to make sure that that happens. Yeah. And it, that's why I think uh, more people should appreciate what you guys do because that, that's that's on the line every day. So that, that's a good spot to segue. Let, let's, I, I uh, sent you like a list of things. And one of the things that I was I was hoping to to cover are like some personal on the job stories that you have that are you know particularly interesting or scary or emotional or really funny. I don't I don't care which, but uh, what would you say are some uh, some cool game warden stories that you have in your back pocket? So um, I'll I'll start off with one of the you know the one of thing one of the things that we as wardens, as wildlife professionals. And this, you know, this definitely isn't a conservation officer specific topic, but one of the things that we get to participate in is youth hunts mm-hmm. and, and mentored hunts. And there, I, I've had a couple opportunities to mentor some kids and those, those opportunities are special. They're, you know, you take a, take a kid who's never been hunting. Um, you know, this one, 
one little boy that I remember, you know, uh, a, a rough upbringing. Mm-hmm. Yep, we all know him. Got, uh, you know, one parent at home. Mom doesn't know anything about hunting, but, you know, he's expressed some interest in it. And he took a hunter ed class and, and got signed up for a mentored hunt. And I was lucky enough to draw him in the hunt. Nice. And that, that hunt, it was an, an antlerless mule deer hunt. You know, he's shooting a, he can only shoot a doe, but at the end of that hunt, you know, you take the, take the kid out, whether it's a boy or a girl, we take them out, we let them shoot the rifles. We let them get used to everything. We hike around, we look at the deer poo, we pick it up, we throw it at each other. You know, we have the, we have the fun with it. And then, all right, tomorrow it's go time. We're going to, we're going to make this happen tomorrow. Yeah. And they show up and they're, you know, their hair's all six ways from sideways and they're barely functional, but they're there. And we hike out, we make our spot. We know, you know, I, I had a spot where I knew, uh, some deer were coming from some ag fields up onto, up onto, uh, uh the BLM grounds. Mm-hmm. And we went out and we made our set, you know, we got shooting sticks ready. Life seems to be going pretty good. The sun starts to come up, the birds start to chirp, and it's just that that experience, right? You're taking. I could tell he's just taking it all in. Gosh, Steve, I I I I love where you're going with this, and I I don't mean to cut you off. I just want you to know, like, if there is a program up in North Idaho that you know where where kids like the boy you're describing need need mentors, I want you to call me. I'd love to do it. Okay. Carry on. Carry on. Yeah. So I got him on my left side, his mom sitting just right behind me on my right side and a little group of deer start to feed out. Sun's up, you know, we've, we've seen them coming and you know, he waits and we wait and uh, a doe kind of separates from the group and, and he makes the shot and down she goes, she gets up and she runs just a little bit. And down she goes again. And Sweet. that that look on that young man's face is is one of those days that I will never forget in my life. Ah oh, man. That is and, powerful, man. Oh yeah. It uh you know, I got the hairs on my arms are sticking up because he, he he didn't care that it was a mule deer doe. Yeah. Yeah. That that to him was was a five hundred inch bull elk. Right? It yeah. was everything that he had ever imagined and it just happened and you know we went through the process and i showed him you know how to gut it and and i helped him along the way and i got ready to you know to to start dragging and he asked if he could drag it and by golly that little that little boy almost got that deer all the way back to you know back to the road where we had started from do you, do you know how old he was? He he was 12. Perfect. Gosh, that's perfect, man. Awesome. Uh, and so those are, you know, some of the feel good stuff that we get to do, you know, every once in a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, um, I love that. I love that story. And, and he got to keep all the meat, right? He got all of it. Yep. He got all of it. We had, uh, we had butchers lined up for them to contact if they wanted to, to hire a butcher. And if they wanted to 
butcher the meat themselves. We had some of our fishing game volunteers that were going to help families butcher deer so that they learned how to do it if that's what they wanted to do. I, I, uh, I want to be on that list if there's a way. I, I just don't – part of the problem with a lot of that stuff is we don't know where to search for that. Yeah, you know what I mean? I'd like I'd I I would totally butcher a deer's uh, or a, a kid's deer if uh, if they needed it. So they they didn't have to spend the money on a butcher. Uh or yeah. I would even pay a butcher fee. Uh, you know, those kind of things. I'd love to be involved if you guys if you guys have some way up you, you know your connections up here in North Idaho. Uh I'm here for you guys on that stuff. Yeah. Oh, I appreciate that. And I'll I'll definitely uh get you some information. For sure. Uh, you know, kind of along those those same lines, Jim. Um, you know, to, to our sportsmen across the great state of Idaho, don't, don't be afraid to reach out to your warden, you know, don't be afraid to learn and, and, and befriend the local conservation officer. But Steve, how do they, how do they do that? That's, I think the biggest hiccup is how do they do that? How do they reach out to a warden? So a lot of times, honestly, I get most of those phone calls, uh, from non-residents. Mm-hmm. They're they're coming to Idaho and they want to learn more about Unit you know 50, which is where I live. The on the resident side of things, you know, I get those same phone calls, but a lot of times, you know, it's related to, hey, I've never been there. I drew this elk tag. I drew this deer tag. What can you tell me? Um, those phone calls almost always come from my regional office. I'm I'm of the opinion that the sportsmen and women of Idaho pay me to do what I love. And mm-hmm. I am here as a customer service rep. You know, I'm a customer service servant, if you will, because you guys pay my salary. So they call into the office. I have no qualms about people calling me on my cell phone. So the office knows they can call me. They call in, hey, you know, I I have a question about Unit 50. I have a, you know, a bear baiting question. I have whatever. And the office just says, okay, yeah, we'll, you know, we'll either take your name and number and have them get a hold of you. Or, you know, here's a, here's a cell phone number. Give them a call and ask him. Sure. And, and honestly, that's, you know, we're, we're literally one phone call away. You know, some I... of the, some of the folks that I've met in the field, just at random have become, you know, some pretty darn good friends. I, I really appreciate that. I, I think that's important. I, I think that, you know, one thing that I'm going to say to that point that you're making, Steve, is when we were talking a while back about, you know, respect and manners and, and you know, just being honest with your game warden and all that kind of stuff. One thing that I'll tell, especially uh, my Idaho peeps, we, you know, I, I know m- many of you are in Washington and Colorado and Arizona and Texas and, you know, all these areas where, where you guys are listening to the show at. Uh, and this is going to apply across the board. And this is coming from a guy who spent a lot of time in a lot of different states hunting and fishing. So um, I, I can I can speak with some intelligence on that. But one thing that, like, having the manners and, and having the respect for your game warden and, and uh, just knowing that they're out there doing their job, it's okay. Like, it's not offensive if they come up to you and ask about your fishing license or your hunting license. It, that's not an offensive thing. So don't get defensive. In fact, on the contrary, um, respond in, in a respectful and, and friendly way. Because what, what happened to me one time 
is is I got I got kind of pulled over because they they uh, they knew that I was hunting right. I, I I wouldn't say I pulled over. There was a game warden coming down one way, and he kind of stopped, and I stopped, and I rolled down my window, and he rolled down his window. Uh, anyway, the point being, uh, I told him I was hunting and he's like, w- would you mind if I, I check license? Yeah, no problem. I get out. We start having a conversation. We start talking about, uh, all sorts of things from raising kids to hunting is good here. Fishing is great there. Well, at the end of the conversation, because we had this great conversation and we were, we were super cordial and friendly with each other. He's like, Hey man, if, if, if you're serious about hunting mule deer, you're on the wrong road. If you go two roads over. Uh, you, you're going to have a different results if you hike into this particular area. I am not saying that game wardens should provide hunting areas by any means, but what I am saying is by having a little bit of politeness and manners and just some friendly, casual conversation with your game warden, they might get a soft spot for you. And since they are out there as a living in the woods, they might point you in the right direction every once in a while. But don't expect it and don't ask for specific spots. That's that's my opinion, Steve. Am, am I off base? No, no, not at all. Yeah, we're definitely not going to hotspot things. You yeah. know, we're, we're not giving out honey holes. We're not giving out any super secret spots, you know, because uh, let's be honest. We talk to a lot of people that kill a lot of game. Mm-hmm. And it would just be 100% unprofessional to start sending, you know, other people. Hey, you know, I just checked a guy with a giant bull. He was up on this ridge. Maybe you should head up there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's and that's not, not that's not what I'm saying, and that's not what this guy did. He he just yeah. let me know that generally mule deer were not in the drainage I was looking for, but they are in a different drainage, and I was polite, and he yeah. pointed me in the right direction. He didn't give me a specific spot. Yeah, we, we don't hotspot things, but yeah, you know, we've you know, we've been doing this long enough. You know, most of us have been doing this long enough. You you get a feel for people really fast. And you know, those folks that are honest and cordial and you can tell that they're out there, you know, working their butt off trying to provide meat for their family, having a good time, you know, whatever it is, you know, there's there's definitely a a higher sense of help for those folks than you know, the, the, the guys and gals that, you know, aren't as cordial or, yeah you know, the, you always get the one, I kind of laugh about it, you know, funny game warden stories. I, I can't tell you how many times I've been driving down a road and I stop my truck to look at a group of deer and a vehicle pulls up behind me or pulls up nose to nose with me and they jump out and they want to chat. And the first thing they say is, Hey, have you seen any deer? <laughs> nope haven't seen a single one because <laughs> they're not there, looking <laughs> there they are on the hill 80 yards away from us just standing there feeding you know and mm-hmm. and it's like wow you guys aren't looking for anything that's not standing in the middle of the road i imagine as a game warden you guys have a great eye for spotting game and that's something i take a lot of pride in i i have a great eye but i'll bet you guys have an even better eye like we we see a lot. Yeah, yeah. You guys just you're just out there every day, right? And yeah. and so I I always pride myself. Like my ten year old, she could spot a deer. Like th- there are grown men that would love to have the deer eye that my my daughters have. It's yeah. amazing. But yeah, it's just it's just you know it's just an interesting thing. The more the more time you spend doing it, you know. But yeah. 
No, Steve, this has been a great conversation, man. I, I really appreciate you coming on the show and, and sharing with us, you know, your passion for, for what you do for a living uh, and sharing a lot of the, some of the inside details that I think a lot of people just don't have a lot of clarity on. Um, I think that th- this is important stuff. You know, it doesn't matter if you guys are in Idaho or if you're in whatever state uh, or, or up in the some of the provinces in, in, in Canada. Um, you know, it doesn't matter. We're... We're out there. We've got law enforcement, and and the communication between the public and the and the law enforcement itself, I think, is super important. And also to the point of where Steve and I were talking about, you know, helping our law enforcement and helping with regulation compliance and being being the person that actually isn't a sissy about it. Like you see somebody doing something wrong, you need to make it be known because those are the things that are going to ruin it for the rest of us. So everybody out there that, that takes this lifestyle as a hunter serious and, and we follow the rules and we, we punch our tags and we do all these things that are within compliance of what the laws and the regulations are, it's going to get ruined by people that don't do that. And it's a very small majority. And so I, I really appreciate this discussion, Steve. Uh, I think people are going to get a lot out of it. You, you got any closing thoughts or anything like that or what? where are we at? So I've got um – I've got one more funny story for you if you got a if you got a couple minutes. You absolutely. I've got a, I've got I've got a few minutes, man. Send it. And and uh you know one kind of cl- closing comment I guess you would say you know a, a lot of folks that that hesitation to make the call. Um the way the way we tell folks is you know if if somebody came to your house and took your dog from your front yard would you hesitate to call the cops? No, you're going to make that call immediately. But for some reason, when it's, you know, a wildlife crime, they, they don't think about it as somebody just stole that deer from my family. And really, that's what's happening in these in these poaching events. You know, whether it's a, you know, a native cutthroat trout or a, or a you know, mule deer doe or, you know, a bobcat or a bull elk, the wildlife belongs to the citizens of the state. And that that wildlife belongs to you. And you should you should think of it as somebody is stealing from me as a sportsman, because that's truly what they're doing. They took that opportunity away from you and your family. And, you know, I I like to try to clarify that with folks, because, you know, when when a law is broken, a lot of times. There's no you know, not not a lot of times there. There's never a hesitation to to call the cops. Mm hmm. But for some reason, when it comes to wildlife crime, oftentimes there's that that hesitation. That's a great point, yeah. Steve. That that's a great point. Like somebody's robbing a bank, everybody's calling nine one one. But somebody's poaching an elk, it's like, do I call? Do they I just call somebody? Driving. Just keep driving. Yeah, yeah. And you know, and that's that's one of the things that you know that I I do try to drive home. You know, again with our with our youth and and the sporting groups that we talk to and. You know, and we're we're just regular guys and gals out here doing a job, mm-hmm. but we we need the help from the public. Yeah. Um, Citizens Against Poaching has been around for a long time. That phone number is on every hunting license or fishing license or tag that you ever buy. Yep. Make the call. It is so vitally important for us as wildlife uh, enforcement pro- professionals to be able to follow up on those violations 
even if you think it's something that's so minor, it doesn't matter. Those minor little calls, those minor little, well, I don't know, sometimes lead into something vastly more important. That's what I was going to ask, Steve, is like, you know, without being like a Karen or something, but sometimes you're out there and you're like, man, I don't know if that's legal. What is that guy doing? What What is going on over there? It's like, a, you know, a question in your mind. Is that something that you should be like, okay, I'm just going to call the wardens and uh, get some clarity on this as to what these people are doing because I don't know if they're breaking the law, but they might be. It's not clear. Does that make sense? How do, how do you yep. uh, advise with that? Absolutely. Uh, what what I tell folks is, is let me do my job. When in doubt, right? call the warden. Is that what you're saying? That's correct. It's not your job to know every law. It's not your job to know the intricacies of the law. If you see something fishy, you're like, oh, man, that's just, you know, that gut feeling that something's not right. I would rather you call me, you know, call Citizens Against Poaching, call the local sheriff's office Mm -hmm. and report that and let me do the follow up and say, nope, everything was fine. Than me to find out later in the season that I actually had witnesses to a crime and I got nobody to contact now. Yeah. Yeah. Great point. Um, I, I think that that's, that's the kind of stuff, uh, you know, Steve, I, I would love to have you, you know, kind of in the future as like the, the go-to warden for, for the Western Huntsman platform. Does that make sense? Like if, if there's, if there's questions, I can call you up and, and we can kind of record real quick, you know, what, what needs to be done or what needs to be said. And you're, you're kind of like our foundation as far as law enforcement goes. And, and I would have no problem with that at all. You know, we, we, we tell folks all the time, I would rather every citizen of the state give me a call and say, hey, I don't really understand this than me have to write somebody a ticket in the field. Yeah. We, we. That's a tall we, order, man. There's like two million people in Idaho. Nowadays. I know, it's getting more and more, <laughs> more and more every day. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, but honestly, you know, we're here for, for the sporting public of the state. You know, it, it's much easier to get those clarifying questions, you know, from the office, from one of us, than to go out into the field with an unknown in the back of your brain. I had a game warden tell me one time, um, think about it this way. I, it's much easier and less inconvenient to spend five minutes clarifying a law or regulation versus five months dealing with the repercussions of breaking a law or regulation. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That, Absolutely. You know what's funny? That particular game warden, so this is actually in North Carolina, he he wanted to check my fishing license as I was pulling my boat out that was a rental boat from base, from Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. And uh, I was, I was kind of in the middle of just getting the boat on the trailer and pulling it out. And I'm like, okay, I'll meet you at the top of the ramp and, and show you my license. And I, because he was there, I felt like I was in a hurry, right? And I'm like, oh, man, I don't want to let him down. I'm going to get to the top so I can get my license out because he, you know, might think something's fishy. And so I didn't pay attention, so I pulled the boat out. It's this uh, 15, 16-foot fiberglass boat with a little 40-horsepower mercury on the back. Pulled the boat out, had bass in the, uh, the, the live well, and the damn thing, it scooted. As I was pulling off the ramp and my whole boat came off the trailer and landed on the concrete of the ramp. And this warden was standing down there and I thought he was going to have a heart attack. 
<laughs> and so he helped me uh, muscle the boat back up on the ramp, and I took it back to the rental place on base and didn't say anything about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, no, that's this is great stuff, Steve. I, I Again, I really appreciate you coming on the show. I know we're running a little long here. Um, this has been just dynamite information. I think a lot of people are going to, you know, just benefit from knowing, you know, hearing from the, the game warden himself and, and, and you're, you're kind of echoing a lot of, I think what, what a lot of game wardens, and, and I know this because I talked to a lot of game wardens, right? And so I think you're echoing just a lot of what, what people in your field, they, they believe in. And so people can really kind of get rid of some of the misconceptions and the misunderstandings and understand that what you guys do for a living is critical to our future as hunters and outdoorsmen and, uh, and fishermen. I always leave out fishermen. Um, and, and thanks again, not only for what you do, but thanks for coming on the show, man. This has been fun. Yeah. It, it, it was exciting. I appreciate the, I appreciate you reaching out to me Yeah. and yeah. Uh, anytime I, you know, I could, I could do I, I can talk warden talk a lot as you have already found out. But. Oh man, you're you're giving me an idea. Maybe we do this once a quarter, like warden talk with the Western Huntsman. <laughs> <laughs> I I love it, man. Uh, thanks again. Uh, stay safe. Don't hang up when I uh, hit stop here, but just stay safe out there. And thanks again for what you do, and uh, we'll we'll be in touch soon. Okay, sounds good, Jim. I appreciate it. made it all the way to the end thank you so much for tuning into the show we sure appreciate your support this is jim huntsman signing off and reminding you to check us out at instagram at the western huntsman and on facebook at the western huntsman and you can also check out the website at thewesternhuntsman.com thanks again we'll see you guys next time stay western and i'll see you on the mountain